Hey everyone, this is Eli and Rajan back with episode two of Casual Design Chats. Today we're actually going to be talking about psychology and how that ties into what we do in this business. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our first episode where we talked about making an impact as a designer, go ahead and check it out. Links are below. Psychology itself is like one of the main reasons I even chose product design, UX design as a career, because I was always fascinated by, you know, how people think, what drives people mm -hmm. and, but really what are our deep needs? Were you always interested in how people think outside of your job before you even got into UX or product design? I guess back in 2018, or I don't know, maybe even before that, I was really curious to just learn more about why that is. Why are some people different than me? And, you know, why are some people similar in the yeah. way we think, things we like? Yeah. I think this is exactly where you and I are very similar because even before I got into this career, I've always had an innate fascination with how humans think and why they do the things that they do. And I never really understood why I cared so much deeply about that until somebody would be telling me a story about another person, right? But they usually would tell a story in a very short form format, kind of, you know, highlighting certain things, but downplaying other things. And the way that my brain works is I'm always trying to prod deeper and deeper as to what the situation actually was, why that situation transpired in such a way. And, you know, there's a specific example that one of the time my friend was telling me a story about somebody that we both knew and he made it fairly short, but funny, but then I didn't focus on the funny part. I focused on the part of, but the why, why would he say that? Or why would he do that? And my friend in a way got annoyed with me. He's like, listen, man, like, I don't want to psychoanalyze this guy. I'm just telling you what happened. And that's listen, it. man, listen, I'm, I'm just trying to be funny and you, yeah, you, can't, you yeah. can't catch my jokes. We can't be friends. Exactly. And like the thing is, I, I caught the joke, but to me, like it was a split second of like, yeah, that was funny. That was good enough. But I'm like, I'm more interested into the why this guy did this other thing. Right. And, you know, being called out like that actually was somewhat eye opening because I truly understood. I'm like, oh, my God, I have an interest in like human behavior a lot more than I thought I did. And, you know, how can I possibly like use this in my professional life, right? That ties nicely into how psychology relates to and influences the, the designs we create, the research we do. When I got into UX design, I came across this article that talked about 80 something cognitive biases that will help you design better products. Right. And I was just like, whoa, this is not just pixels on the screen. This is science, right? And how some people have made decisions that were backed up by the psychology research. There's even like a website called Laws of UX. You probably heard of it. Many people have probably heard of those laws like, you know, Hicks law. There's aesthetic usability effect. There's so many different ones that influence the little to large decisions we make in our designs. And that really helps when you're backing up your rationale behind your, your work. And when you're communicating your work as well to the stakeholders. 
Absolutely. And it's so funny you mentioned that exact same website, lawsofux.com, for those of you that you know may not have caught it the first time. Not um, sponsored. Not sponsored at all, no, but <laughs> it is a great <laughs> website that I've actually used as part of my, uh, not research, but I would say evidence to uh, explain something to a stakeholder that uh, I was having you know, very serious conversations with one of my company. And it's such a funny example uh, because and I'll give you an example of actually what had happened is I was working at a bank and we were going through a design of a portal stuff that's all confidential but the story was that I was working very closely with a business analyst on this project and we got really deep into the weeds of uh, identifying use cases for the product we were designing we got so deep that coming up with all of these edge cases and the, the more edge cases we came up with more started occurring and it got to a point where we just got so deep and we're like are we actually going to be designing like hundreds of different screens for this edge case because that's a complete nightmare um so i took a step back you know had to think about it for a few days and kind of applied what they call the pareto principle if you've heard of that the pareto principle essentially states that for many events approximately 80 percent of the effects come from 20 percent of the causes and what that translates to in this situation is we're saying that 20% of our customers that we're designing this for will provide us with 80% of the results. Because we are releasing this iteratively in an agile format, we should probably be focusing on those 20% that will bring 80% of the benefits. And then as we go through this product, as we iterate, we will start focusing on these edge cases. It's something that you know, really helped me push this idea of like not being stuck in the weeds, but focusing more on like what brings you the most amount of benefit. So that psychology right there, I think is one of the most interesting aspects of something that I've actually applied to in my, in my work. Hmm. Yeah. The 80, 20 rule, as I like to call it, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's the technical term is probably Pareto principle. It's exactly but... 80, 80, 20. Well, that's exactly what it is called. But oh, okay. for me to kind of drive my point home, I actually went further. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I found some, uh, huh. you, know, you know, more you information know about it. So it, it, it made me stand out in my argument as to why <laughs> yeah. we shouldn't focus on these edge cases that were driving me absolutely mental because yeah. I said, like, look, we need to really just like take it back here. <laughs> so that helped a lot. That is so true. You could have used the 80-20 and, you know, that would have sounded maybe just fine. But when you use the actual scientific term, which, you know, in this case, it's Pareto principle, it sounds like, oh, okay, he's done his research. He's exactly. not just, it's not a personal opinion. Um, so I think that's, well, that, that's funny you mentioned that because as I grew in my career, it's exactly what I've realized that uh, the more impactful you want to be, the more you want people to understand you, you really have to come with hard facts, right? And so funny, when I was fairly junior in my career, I kept leaning on, on users feel this, users feel that. And a lot of that is very subjective stuff, right? You can't quantify how somebody feels. And especially in a business practice, telling your user feels a certain way to a stakeholder, it sounds like you might as well be speaking in Martian, right? <laughs> because none of that hmm. matters. Like a, a business stakeholder doesn't care how a user feels, right? You have to come back with hard data. Like, have you done quant or qualitative data? Like, do you have anything to actually back up what you're saying? So 
having these scientific terms really does help uh, drive your point home. Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Uh, for those of you that don't know Meta, the parent company of Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and a bunch of other apps, recently launched an app called Threads, which is a direct competitor to Twitter. Um, rumor has it, I'm not sure how this is justifiable or not, uh, that a bunch of Twitter engineers that got let go were scooped up by Meta, and then Threads was launched based um, on their skill set. And ultimately, it's a direct competitor to Twitter. It's the exact same format, exact same type of thing. You just, you know, you have a certain amount of characters that you would type onto a screen, and then it's just a whole thread, for lack of a better word. Uh, but what is interesting about that is this. So there was a lot of hype around it pretty much out of nowhere. Like I didn't even know that Threads was in the making. I didn't know that something that was coming out. But then one day, and I think this was on Thursday, so two to three days ago, um, everybody at my work, everybody on LinkedIn is like, oh, I'm on threads, I'm on threads. I'm like, what is this thing? Like, why is this like, what the hell is this thing? So I find out that threads is actually uh, linked to your Instagram account. So to open up a threads account, you have to go through Instagram. So I'm like, awesome, let's do it. Let's just open it. Just, you know, let's grab my username just in case I ever want to use this thing down the road. I'm not a big Twitter user to begin with. In fact, I'm not a Twitter user at all. Um, I, I have an account. I I've only posted like once, maybe eight years ago, but I figured I'll have this account, I'll claim it, and that's cool. So I go through the onboarding process of Threads, and it's super smooth. I got to tell you, it's just one of the best onboarding experiences I've ever seen. Uh, it just kind of like glided me throughout the whole process. There was no roadblocks. There was nothing stopping me. And then I got the account, and I forgot about it. I just let it sit there. Fast forward 24 hours later. And, you know, the hype dies down and I start reading online news. I start reading Reddit. I start reading uh, in news in general. It turns out that uh, if you want to delete your Threads account, well, that's a big no-no because now it's 100% tied to your Instagram account. So if you delete one, you fully delete the other. And what's insane to me is that this was not explicitly stated in the onboarding process. I'm sure it was hidden somewhere in the terms and conditions, but because the onboarding process was so smooth, so just like delightful, it's one of the best ones I've seen. And I say this as a designer who's, you know, very jaded by onboarding processes in general. Like this was one was nice. And the fact that this wasn't explicitly stated is a huge red flag, but it's a huge win for Meta because they've gained something like 10 million users in a span of seven hours and they've won because people who use Instagram, which is, you know, a lot of people in this world, like now you can't delete that account without nuking your Instagram account. So that is a huge, I think, psychological trick. Um, I dare I huh. say it might even be a dark pattern, but it's very much, uh, conscious of like they're conscious of what they did and they did that on purpose and in a way i sort of applaud them I, I don't agree with how they went about it but i definitely can understand and appreciate like why they did what they did and how they did it so very interesting okay that's that is huh okay so you you said you have to make the threads account with your instagram and you can't delete it because if you delete it you have to you lose your instagram account as well is that that's right, is that right? And because it, that's 100 correct because people are so like i'm not a big instagram user either 
but a lot of people are. So, you know, you're going to lose all your connections, all your posts, everything if you delete your threads account. So they played on the fact that people are not going to want to get rid of their Instagram accounts. I don't know the full details with threads and to even consider it a dark pattern or a gray pattern, there has to be some gain for the company that the user or you did not want, right? So it's going against what the human wanted, but it's going for what the business wanted, right? I think that would probably be considered like a gray or a dark pattern. Well, I'll tell you why it's a dark pattern because uh, you mentioned the point exactly it. What it's doing for the business is it gained them 10 million subscribers in six to seven hours, which is a huge boost to their investors because investors like to see subscribers engagement. There's different kinds of metrics that investors look at, but one of them is 100% um, subscribers. So when you gain that many people in such a short time span, um, I'm not sure how the meta stock is doing after that, but it's guaranteed it's doing something to increase the desirability of the company to the investors for sure. Hmm. Yeah. You know, last time we talked about, <laughs> this is funny because last time we talked about increasing your impact as a designer and how you need to look at the UX metrics, calculate ROI, you know, think about it from the business lens. And then today we're talking about psychology and how there are dark patterns that go against what the the human wants, but it is kind of satisfying the business need. So it's it's a tricky it's a tricky role that we have as designers and researchers, you know, where we're trying to balance what people want, what the business wants, you know, while keeping well, making ethical decisions. And and we have like, we have so many choices. Like when you're designing something, you're basically manipulating others, right? So that could be a good way or it could be used in a dark way where the dark pattern comes from. There's so much power we have as designers and researchers and content writers. Like really all of our, all of our roles combined you know, how we, how we create that experience for the end user. I think that's where psychology is, is so valuable to not only know what's good and what's not good, but Mm -hmm. also taking stand for, you know, what's right. I think ethics is also another thing that's not talked about as much. A lot of products use these dark patterns to the max and it's quite obvious when you you see it e-commerce example like this product costed ten thousand dollars it's striked out now it's only ten dollars for the next two hours there's only seven left and you better hurry because sales gonna end soon (laughs) like how real is that it's you don't not. know. <laughs> one of my favorites is, and when I say favorites, I'm using air quotes, is when I'm shopping for a product, right? And it pops up like, oh, Dan in Hamilton, Ontario, which is a city 50 kilometers away from where I am, just bought this exact item. I'm like, really? Dan did. <laughs> okay. Hey, <laughs> hey, no, okay. No shade to, sh- I think it's 
Shopify. Shopify. Yeah, yeah, no shade to Shopify, <laughs> but I know it's their pattern. It's it might not be Shopify's pattern, but it is one of the I think they the pioneered plugins. That. Yeah. Oh, okay. They hundred percent plugin. Yeah. <laughs> but I always see that, and you know, you can't fool me with that stuff because you again, you and I are yeah. in the industry. I see that stuff. I'm like, don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the thing. People catch up to these dark yeah. patterns and, you know, you can use them in a, in a way where it, um, where it helps the business, but it's really a short-term tactic that's, you know, in the, in the long-term not going to help the business. So be a good person. Don't use dark patterns. Be mindful when you do. And know that people will catch up and in the long term it's gonna impact the business the brand and just humanity on the topic of ethics so one thing that i think is very important to consider in our business is we have an opportunity like you said to we can drive a lot of change in people's behaviors and things like that so when it comes to ethics i think it's very important that the people in the industry like you and I and other designers uh, do the right thing. So it's never wrong to do the right thing, right? So for example, if you get into a situation with, you know, a stakeholder, product owner, whatever, it doesn't matter. And you feel like you're being pushed to do something uh, that may not be as ethical, right? Like it is up to you ultimately to speak up. Now, whether you can actually enact that change is a different story. You may be forced to do something you don't agree with you may be uncomfortable with it but speaking up is super super important in my opinion so you should say because ultimately if you go back to history of user experience design which i feel it shouldn't be forgotten as that we are advocating for the end user right we are not here just solving business problems which we are doing that a lot these days but we should still be advocating for the user. So if something comes up that isn't ethical, you feel like isn't right, speaking up, I think is super, super important. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Casual Design Chats. We hope you found this valuable and learned at least one thing from this. If you want to stay up to date with the next episodes, do follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time.